You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And along with us, although not always, especially not on this channel, is a very special guest. I'll let you introduce yourself, sir. Joe Marino. You can follow me on Twitter at the Joe Marino. That's right. We have got one of the most prestigious guests to ever join us here on the Nick and Nolan Airwaves, Mr. Joe Marino from the Draft Network. And he is your host of he's your co-host of the Nick and Nolan show today. <laughs> I've some of these things that you guys say or that I say, I, I almost have like muscle memory to all of our intros for the different shows that we listen to on a regular basis. I almost uh, said, uh, I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you or whatever Happy day it is. <laughs> What's up, Bills Mafia? There it is, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Got to take it, you know, dust it off here. We got to get loose, get loose. Okay. So what we are doing today is a, a unique thing that we've never done before on the Nick and Nolan show, but I think that our listeners will very much like it. This is also the brainchild of Bruce. So all credit goes to him if this is something you do enjoy. So Bruce and Joe are both guys who are really, really into the draft. They do a lot of homework. They put a lot of work in. I, admittedly, am not that guy at all. So what we are going to do is a seven-round Bills mock draft where I play the role of basically the, the arbiter, the guy who is going to make the final decision, but I'm going to make the final decision about who the Bills pick at the picks they have as it stands now, no trades or anything, based on the recommendation and the pitches that Joe and Bruce make to me. So each of you are kind of going to be like like scouts, right? Making a pitch to the GM, although I would be the most uninformed and worst GM of all time because I have no opinions of my own. Russ Brandon was a thing though, Nick. Robust analytics. That's true. So <laughs> yes. We forget. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I, I will. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I, I I will essentially be a, a a football executive who knows nothing about football, and I'm just going to be taking the advice and the recommendations of my scouts 
who happen to be the two of you. But you're not going to be, this is my little wrinkle to this, neither of you are going to be Bruce or Joe. Say what? You guys are going to be referred to under this organization, this regime of the Buffalo Bills, by your names that that I'm going to give you here in a second. And you've you've all seen, everybody has seen these funny formulas online for, you know, mix the street you grew up on and your second grade teacher's last name, and that's your such and such name. Well, each of you, I found this one under the category of rock star name, and I want to know the name of your first pet is your first name. (laughs) And then your last name is the kind of car you drive. You can either choose make or model. I'll leave it up to you. But Bruce, who are you going to be for this evening? My name is Ziggy Civic. (laughs) All right. Ziggy Civic. Yeah. And Joe, who are you? (laughs) I am Peppy Camry. (laughs) Peppy Camry. All right. So we got Ziggy and Peppy, Mr. Civic and Mr. Camry with us. Very good. All right, let me go ahead and navigate over here and we will get started on the mock draft simulator unless either of you have anything you want to add before we jump into this head first. No, I'm good. The the name adjustment is going to be something for me to deal with here. I am I am Peppy. I am Peppy. All right. <laughs> so I'm using a fake name to cover up my fake name. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, I I had another one that I liked, but I thought, you know, it, it might actually it might actually encroach on Bruce's desire for uh not giving FBI any information. So we'll go ahead and just go with the the name of your first pep. First, God, Peppy. <laughs> the name of your first pet and the the kind of car you drive. So there we go. All right. Okay, the draftnetwork.com. I feel like I've heard of this place. Yeah, I have too. Um Thanks for using it. The Draft Network, Mock Draft Machine. Appreciate it. Oh, can you tell that I just bought rugs for my uh, new home? Your your predictive uh, advertising here. Buy some more rugs, Nick. You know your wife wants another another rug. You you, you Uh, went cheap on her. These are some of the ones I actually bought, too. So if you guys can't tell, we are all sharing my computer screen. So we're not in the same same location. We are certainly socially distancing states away, in fact. But uh, everyone can see my computer screen through the amazing technology that exists. All right. Are we ready, gentlemen? Can I get a drum roll? All right. And we're off. If you guys want, as this runs, you guys can or feel free to uh, insert some commentary with the things that happen that may be interesting. So far, nothing really crazy. Joe Burrow went number one overall. You know, Javon Kinlaw stopped at 16 to Atlanta. Justin Jefferson going 21 to the Eagles. I think a lot of people could probably call that. DeAndre Swift going to Kansas City is something that I think that a lot of people think would probably be a good idea there at the back half of the round. And, you know, a team that just came off Super Bowl championship but really didn't have the the running game that they really wanted. LaShawn McCoy's leaving and things like that. So, okay, the Bills are up at 54. Ziggy and Peppy, tell me what you see and what we're on the clock here. What should we be doing? Joe, you want to go first? I'm sorry, Peppy. Peppy, you want to go first? Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah, I'll I'll take the honors here. Uh, first of all, uh, Nick, would you mind scrolling down just a little bit so I can see some of the other options that are on the board? And my goal here is to convince Nick of the pick. Um, and so one thing that I've done a little bit of research and and knowing my GM is knowing that Nick is not for a running back at fifty four. So I am going to sway away from that idea. And what I'm going to try to convince you here, Nick, is that this Bills defense is an elite unit, right? But one thing that is true about it is it's not very exotic. There's nothing about it that 
people say or opponents say about this team and say that they do these really complicated things. It's a very scheme-driven defense where people are fulfilling their assignments. It's guys that have been together, a lot of continuity, and they play good, complimentary team ball on defense, and they make you earn everything. Well, now it's time to take this defense to the next level. There's a really firm foundation in place at all three levels, but what the Bills need is an X-factor on defense, and the pick that you should make in this situation is Southern Illinois safety Jeremy Chin. And I'm reluctant to say safety because what Jeremy Chin truly is, is a positionless defensive player. And what you can do with a player like this is put him on the field in sub packages and counter all of these really dynamic offenses that you're seeing in the NFL today. Pay space, trying to create mismatches. And with a player like Jeremy Chin, you have a true neutralizer. You have a guy that can line up over a guy like Travis Kelsey at tight end and play sticky man coverage. You have really outstanding range on the second level to take away quarterbacks like a Lamar Jackson or a mobile guy like a Patrick Mahomes or these these offenses that like to get the screen game going or, or outside run, you get a neutralizer that can work sideline to sideline and do so many different roles for you. So this is the type of player that we can get for the Buffalo Bills to add a layer, a wrinkle to this defense that doesn't exist to take it to the next level, keep the strength of the team, the strength of the team, and add an X factor on defense and Jeremy Chin to neutralize the way that offenses are attacking. The Bills' goal is no longer the New England Patriots. The Bills' goal is to win and compete in the AFC, standing in the way of the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs. If you want to take those teams down, you need to stop those really dynamic offenses that they have, and a player like Jeremy Chin helps you do that. Pepe, let me ask you this. If we grab this kid and we put him on the field, who you know, I maybe I have an assumption of who the 11 guys that are primarily going to be on the field whenever we're on defense, on the regular. Who is going to be on the bench instead for this kid as a hybrid player to be on the field? So you're going to be in sub packages primarily. On your base defense, you're still going to go with Milano, uh, Alexander, and A.J. Klein, and you'll have Poyer and Hyde as your safeties. But when you take that that A.J. Klein player off the field and you put in a player like this based on personnel, if they go 12 personnel, two tight ends, you definitely bring in a player like Chin, if you're going sub packages, if they're if they have a big slot receiver that you want to deal with, uh, put a player that's physical and match them at the line of scrimmage and try to create jams. You put them on the field, long and late downs where you want that speed, where it could be screen uh, screen or draw. This is the type of player that you put on the field. So it's matchup specific, but the player that comes off from the base defense would be AJ Klein. All right. I don't know. All right, Ziggy, what do you got for me? I mean, I, I've, I've got, I'm feeling, I'm feeling some, some warm and fuzzies here about the, what Pepe just sp- sent my way. First off, I'm really upset that Pepe picked Jeremy Chin because I wanted to pick Jeremy Chin, but I'm not going to. Instead, I will use my superior convincing skills to convince you that although Jeremy Chin is a great positionless defensive player to be able to put in this place, there is still in my mind a concern on the offensive line. And I'm going to tell you that Lucas Niang should be the pick at 54. And I'll tell you why. Cody Ford being at tackle still to this day is a concern. Lucas Niang should not be here. Lucas Niang is a first round product. The only reason he's here is because 19 was a down year because of a hip injury he suffered. And he 
really started to come out of his stance a little weird. If you watch the 2018 film, you actually have to go back on Yang to see the kind of potential that he has. He was a right tackle. There's no ambidexterity problems running into it. The, I think Tristan Wirfs recently on an interview said that switching from left tackle to right tackle is like wiping your rear end with the other hand. Don't have to worry about that with Lucas Niang. He was a right tackle at TCU. He can allow Cody Ford to kick inside to guard and have an absolutely monstrous right side of that line. If you remember the preseason in 2019, there were occasions where we had Cody Ford on the right at right guard and then Ty Secchi at right tackle. And having that level of beef up front allowed that side of the line to basically collapse down on people and really, really, really step forward in a, in a positive way. Our defense is already very good. And if we're worried about Milano leaving, we can potentially deal with that next year. But this gives you a chance to get a day one starter at right tackle who should not be around at 54, if not from and not for the buy low mentality that's going to get us him at 54 because of the hip injury. Everything looks to be okay. We are in a unique position with our particular facilities to be able to ensure that his recovery goes well. And instead of getting somebody who's going to play 60% of the snaps on defense, which is already a strength of the team, you're now getting someone who could potentially play 100% of the snaps on offense. Our offensive line was perfectly reasonable last year, but it wasn't so good that we can't stop looking at upgrade. And you can upgrade two positions on your team by taking Niang, putting him at right tackle, moving Cody Ford over to guard. John Feliciano is a good player. But his contract is up at the end of this year, and although we probably don't want to admit it, the back half of 2019 was just okay. In addition, we can still find some versatile defensive players later on in this draft. This offensive tackle group is a little bit top-heavy, and I don't feel really comfortable waiting until the fourth, the fifth, the sixth to try to get an offensive tackle. If we want a starter and we want to upgrade that spot, we got to do it now. Is he stronger in pass protection or run game? I think he's stronger in pass protection. Assuming the assuming the hip goes back to 2018. Mm. I got a little bit, you know, I, I have some things to juggle with here. First of all, you know, I'm trying to understand about whether or not the organization really, I mean, I know what, I know what Nick wants to do, but what does uh, whatever GMI would be? Let's see what my first pet and my, my current car, I would be Dusty Lincoln. <laughs> all right. So, what does Dusty Lincoln want to do with this organization? I think, I think really, I, I, I I'm, I'm very interested in moving uh, Cody Ford inside. But, but which of you made it? I, I gotta say, I think that the pitch that Peppy gave me was, I mean, that was a, that was a sexy pitch talking about what we can do and where nobody really can basically be able to move the ball on us. The selection at 47 is Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. Okay. Got us a Saluki, right? Isn't that Southern Illinois Salukis? I hope I'm getting Saluki. Yep. Yeah, I'm getting that right. 54 right. has been picked. Jeremy Chin is off the board. That was a compelling argument you made there, Ziggy. Uh, but maybe the at the beginning, you shouldn't have said, I, I was hoping I could pick Jeremy Chin. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I have to remain intellectually honest. <laughs> All right. So we are on the board, gentlemen, at 86. Tell me what you'd like to see on the board. I can move up and down. I can go to positions, whatever you want to look at. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this should not be a question at this point. The pick at 80, the pick, sorry, the pick at 86 should be cornerback Bryce Hall 
from Virginia. The CB2 spot, if EJ Gaines is healthy, would be great. When was the last time EJ Gaines played an entire year of football? It's been a while. Bryce Hall is someone who has the necessary length and the necessary IQ to play really well in zone coverage, and he wouldn't have to be rushed onto the field after an ankle injury during his senior season that pushed him down, much like the argument with Lucas Niang. However, in this case, we have not one, not two, but three cornerbacks in front of him, not rushing him onto the field, but potentially being able to shore that position up. Now, we know Tredavious White is going to be a significant paid player very soon. The best way to maximize your spending, the opposite of him, is to have a third round pick on a rookie contract for the four years that overlap most significantly with the significant money years we're going to give Tredavious White. Bryce Hall has all the mental makeup necessary, process AF. In addition, the length the fact that you look at Bryce Hall and you go, that guy looks like he was carved out of stone. This is a guy who was built to play the NFL game. Yes, he's a little bit stiff, but when you're considering him versus EJ Gaines's availability versus Josh Norman's lack of athleticism and age versus Levi Wallace's proven ability to occasionally be a problem in coverage, CB2 is still an issue. Being able to do that with someone who could either be a day one starter or can sit and learn behind a good group of cornerbacks means this is an opportunity to upgrade that defense. I understand we took Jeremy Chin, but we're not taking him as a cover man. We're taking him as a defensive weapon. And that's not what this is. He is an outside boundary corner, and he solves that problem for us. Nope, no issues, no worries about going up against high-powered offenses. My associate, Pepe, made an argument that when you have a player like Jeremy Chin at 54, you're doing it because of the offenses you're going to have to go against. Well, guess what? Those offenses, if you run into the Kansas City Chiefs, you need to be able to play on coverage. They'll, they can just ignore Tredavious White. And they can just target the other corner over and over and over again. And I don't want to lose in the playoffs because we don't have enough good cover men to deal with explosive passing offenses. All right. I, I have a question, but I think I'm going to let Pepe make his case first, depending on what he says before I ask my question to you, Ziggy. So sit tight. Dusty, listen to me. We just got an X factor for the defense and Jeremy Chin that is going to take the defense to new heights. Now, the concern with this football team is the offense. The reason the Bills weren't able to advance further in the playoffs is because they couldn't score enough points. Now, we've already invested our first-round pick in Stephon Diggs, but let's go back to the well and get an X-factor for the offense. And the guy I'm referring to is Memphis offensive weapon Antonio Gibson. Listen to this, Dusty. Six foot. 228 pounds. The guy runs 4-3-9 in the 40-yard dash. Last season, he touched the ball 71 times, scored 12 touchdowns, 19.3 yards per reception, 11.2 yards per rush. This is a touchdown maker, an offense creator. You can get him involved in the passing game, both in the short and deep areas of the field. He's very good at creating yards for himself after the catch, but he can also win vertically. Gave defenses fits last year, but then where he's really exciting is you can also hand the ball off to him. And it's not like he only had you know five or six carries. This guy across 33 rushing attempts averaged 11 yards per carry. He's a guy that just has innate playmaking instincts 
for this offense. You think about the Isaiah McKenzie role. Well, let's go ahead and upgrade that with a player like Antonio Gibson with a bigger, equally as explosive player that not only can win because of scheme, because you give him space, but it's a guy that can, he's got that thickness. He's 228 pounds. He can, he can take on contact and create yardage. And he has that vertical receiving skill set on top of the short area ability to uncover and, and take a football and take it to the house. So this is that offensive X factor that will help this team stay on schedule offensively, score more points, have more in the well, more options in the red zone, more consistency on offense. And this gives us a chance to continue attacking that number one need in terms of how can you score points? You do that by getting dynamic playmakers. And that's what you're getting in Antonio Gibson. All right, Pepe, I have a question for you. So this guy, can you give me any sort of uh, an NFL comp for somebody that we've seen used in the multiple ways you're describing what we could do with this guy? Help me get a clearer picture of some things we might look, what we might do that are things I've already seen in the NFL game. Think Cordero Patterson, but a much more consistent receiving threat. So, you know, the same ability to win in space on end arounds and in the return game, but a much more polished ability to track and catch the football down the field and, you know, accentuate that ability to create after the catch by being able to snatch the football, tuck it and get up the field. It's just much more natural for him. So what you envision there, maybe like a Percy Harvin type player, I think maybe that's even a cleaner projection, but a little bit more physicality and size. Can he play straight up out of the backfield in the NFL or is that, is he, is he going to be more of a receiver lineup in the slot come end around stuff like that? I think you can hand him the football. The deal with him is he's not a very nuanced in between the tackles runner. That's not going to be something that is his strength. I mean, only 33 rushing attempts in college. And so when you get him the football, you need to give him chances where he can take advantage of his athleticism and understand the fact that he's not the most polished you know, pressing the line of scrimmage and and reading defenses and understanding where to work. You need to give him space so he's not a, a complete running back, and that's why I don't think you need to label him a running back. This is a true weapon-type player that is more, I think, in the Isaiah McKenzie role, but you can do a lot more with him. Okay, so you're you're advocating for almost a similar uh, positionless weapon-type guy like Jeremy Chin was in the first round. This is that guy on the other side of the ball. Yeah, it comes down to, comes down to X factors. This is a, a, a roster that Brandon Bean has assembled that's pretty complete. Nothing glaring, nothing do or die, and so you kind of have a chance in, in a weird draft in a weird circumstance to get these X factor type players that could be the difference in you know competing and not competing. It's about the little things for the Bills, and I think this adds new wrinkles to both uh, the offense with Chin, the offense with Gibson, and, and of course the defense with Chin. Okay, Ziggy, I got a question for you. So we went defense with the first pick. The second pick, for me to neglect the offense again, when that's our primary part of the team that we need to get improvement on, you know, makes me uneasy. Why can't we just punt this issue at CB2 until the 2021 draft and platoon our way through 2020 between Josh Norman, Levi Wallace, and... EJ Gaines. Understand none of them are a sure thing, but spending, you know, this pick on uh the defensive side of the ball after we already did that in round one makes me a little hesitant. Two things. Number one, your CB2 has not been upgraded this offseason. It was a problem in 19, and it's still gonna be a problem in 2020. If you do not 
address it. If you neglect it, it will continue to be a problem in 2020. And that's what we did. We neglected it. You can't count on Josh Norman. You can't count on EJ Gaines. These are lottery tickets at best. In addition, if you punt on this pick right now, you're not going to get a person who can walk in as a CB2 later on in the draft. That's not happening. Bryce Hall is your last bastion. You're not going to get somebody in the fourth or fifth round who can come in and compete for a starting role at CB2. If you wait this long, you're essentially going to punt it anyway. Hmm. <laughs> this is a difficult one, gentlemen. But that's why I make the big bucks. That's why they pay Dusty the big bucks to make calls like this. All right. The pick is cornerback Bryce Hall from Virginia. I think that's a good pick. You shouldn't you shouldn't have any shame there. I know uh Ziggy and I are trying to be different, but if I went first there, I would have probably sold you on Bryce Hall. <laughs> okay. And then, I, and then I would have sold you on Antonio Gibson. <laughs> I just wanted to go complete opposite there. You know what I mean? A different, completely different angle, if you will. Antonio Gibson ends up going to the Browns. Uh, Bryson, Hopkins, Bryson Hopkins goes to the Packers there. Um, Eno Benjamin goes off the board there. Zach Moss goes to the Falcons, which I actually think is a, I, I like that fit for them. I, I do. I enjoy that fit for them quite a bit. And we're here up again at 128. And I will let... Peppy, make a pitch. All right, uh, Dusty, if you can scroll down just a little bit so I can get my my full array of options here. See, this is why we could have waited on corner. Michael Ojemudie is here, but uh, that opportunity will not be afforded to us. Okay, I, if you'll scroll back up, I think I know exactly what I want to do here. Let me be sure of it. All right. All right, the pick that I think you should make here, Dusty, is Michigan interior offensive lineman Ben Bredesen. This is a guy who is a plug-and-play starter, in my opinion. He plays with an edge that you're looking for, and we know that the Bills prefer in their offensive lineman. Uh, and no doubt about it that this guy can move bodies out of the way at the line of scrimmage. And so when we talk about this offensive line, particularly on the interior, we can talk about Cody Ford as a guard all day long. I think Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott believe Cody Ford is a tackle. And I think that's something we have to live with. And with that in mind, the interior is the spot where you can upgrade. John Feliciano, uh, Ziggy talked about that already. And um, it's a situation where his play declined second half of the season as, and his uh, his contract expires after the year. You've got uh, a club option again on Spencer Long. Um, in this offensive line could experience some turnover. Now this year they bring back all nine of their top guys plus Daryl Williams, but it's so important to continue to make sure that you have continuity up front. You have a concession plan in place and that way you're getting ahead of an important issue like offensive line for the 2021 season and perhaps a, a real challenger this year for John Feliciano. So Let's keep investing in protecting Josh Allen, and I think that Michael or uh, and Ben Bredesen is exactly the type of offensive lineman that you can get in the middle rounds that could come in and start for you. This is a guy who might start, but we are not in a situation where we expect him unquestionably to come in and be the starter from day one. This is a guy who's going to have to compete and take it from Feliciano or Ford if he moves inside or someone like that, right? Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, and that's that, that's this point in the draft and where you get eventual starters. And I think if you look at 2021, there's a reasonable there's a reasonable course for him to be the starter. And he's of that caliber of prospect where he's a, a guy that you peg as year two, a guy that can come in and and really provide an answer for you. All right. Much appreciated, Pepe. Really put some work in here on steadying these guys. It shows. Ziggy, what do you got for me? 
I agree with Pepe that the interior offensive line should be the pick here. I'm going to disagree on the player. Give me John Simpson out of Clemson over Ben Bredesen. I think he's got a better frame. I think he's a little shorter, a little longer, a little thicker. I think that he's somebody who doesn't have the physical limitations that the length of Bredesen, the lack of length of Bredesen really gives you. I think that those bigger, longer offensive line players fit with our particular type. We have Cody Ford. It's been established that this regime likes bigger, longer people. Deion Dawkins was the Lucas Niang comp. We have Cody Ford. John Simpson fits with what we're doing. I like Bredesen. I don't think Bredesen fits with what we're doing. A little bit taller, a little bit leaner, a little bit shorter. And so with Simpson, you get the ideal length with the 34-inch arms. I understand he's not exactly the best athlete out in space, but that's not a big part of what we do. That you know, We have an athletic center, but when we have Cody Ford on the right side, we have Deion Dawkins on the left side. We don't have really huge athletes in space. One of the reasons why the screen game wasn't a big part of what we did is probably because our offensive line isn't really the most athletic out in space with the exception of Mitch Morse. Now, let's not try to be something we're not. What we are is a power running team, and we have a running back in Devin Singletary who can run between the tackles if we create the heavy thud on that right side that is going to allow us to do this. If you're not going to go with Niang at 54, which you didn't, you went with Chin. If you still want that big swinging door on the right side of your offensive line, you get Simpson. He is a little bit slow and that's that's to be understood. But when you're that long and that big and you can anchor that well, he can be an early starter and a very good guard. I don't think he has the athleticism to be able to be the best guard in the league, but that's not what we're looking at at this point in the draft. We're looking at how can we upgrade that spot and stay who, true to who we are. And that's what John Simpson allows you to do. All right, uh, Pep, you know, he had the benefit of being able to compare his guy to what you recommended. And since these guys play similar positions, why would you pick Bredesen over Simpson? I, I think that you're getting a much better athlete, much better mobility when it comes to uh, Bredesen. I think Simpson in a lot of ways has heavy feet and will fold at the waist a bit. But um, I mean, he definitely blocks with an edge. He's got a lot of power, but I do think you are making some concessions here when it comes to uh, lateral quickness and being able to get out in space. Well, I think that here's here's my head on this, gentlemen. I think that, yes, although right now we are a power run team, we all know and we all hope that offensive coordinator Brian Dable has a brighter future ahead of him with a different organization as a head coach. If Josh Allen takes a step that we all want to take, that's where we're going. And the next guy coming in may be someone who is going to introduce more of the screen game. I would like to keep that multiplicity available with the talent that we have and as far as the depth options. And so the pick is going to be Bredesen for the athleticism. And hopefully we can get into a little bit more of a movement uh, ground game and some screen game by him being a guy who's going to contribute maybe not this year, but next. Good, good pick. Let's let's solidify that offensive line. Let's hit this bad boy. Let's let's br- let's bring it home. This this back half of this this draft. We I think we've done a good job. We've we solidified some areas of weakness on this team, and uh, it's it's time it's time to really make our money here in the back half. How do you feel about what we're doing so far, Pep? 
I feel good about it. I, I still have a big concern at running back, which is something I'm going to try to sell you on pretty hard here. Hopefully we can find a guy that will uh, be worth the pick that can be a viable backup uh, to Devin Singletary. All right, so we're at pick 167, which would be round number five. What do we need? What do we got, gentlemen? Who's going first? I'm going first this time. Show me the uh, show me the running backs. Okay. Pep's going to be so mad at me. I got. I have a fallback <laughs> option. I know what you're going to do here. <clears throat> the pick here is LaMichael P. Ryan, running back from Florida. <clears throat> One of the things that you're at a rare position to be able to get at this point in the draft is an all-around running back. All-around running backs typically go earlier, but because this running back class is actually not that bad, it's pushed LaMichael P. Ryan later than he probably should have been. LaMichael P. Ryan is a nuanced in-between-the-tackles runner who also shows the ability to pass, protect, and catch out of the backfield. He's not a specialist. Now, Mr. GM, you and I have had discussions in the past about how specialism, when it comes to running back specifically, tips your hand, tips your hand offensively. But LaMichael Piron allows you to run inside-outside zone, taking advantage of Bredesen's athleticism that we just picked, and maybe the screen game. In addition, when you move him off the field and you move Devin Singletary on the field, there's you're not tipping your hand to the defense as to what type of runs you're running. Previously, with Frank Gore, LaMichael Piron is probably an upgrade over 2019 Frank Gore. And previously, when Frank Gore was in, when we tried to run power, they knew it was coming. And then when we tried to run inside outside zone or outside pitches or things like that, he didn't have the athletic ability to be able to get him there. Now, he's not an overly elusive player, but he has good vision. He breaks tackles. He has a low center of gravity. LaMichael Piron is one of the rare opportunities we still have yet in this draft to be able to get an all around running back and still be able to walk away with a player that we think can take meaningful snaps because that's really been the theme of this draft. We have meaningful players here. Jeremy Chin's going to play meaningful snaps. Bryce Hall can be a starting CB2. Bredesen can start at right guard. LaMichael Piron can walk in the door as RB2, get 150 to 200 touches, and not have to take anything away from Devin Singletary by having a significantly inferior player or having a specialist. Can P. Ryan hit the bit? Can he hit the long ball or is he similar to Devin Singletary in that limitation? He can hit it just as well, if not, it may be a little bit better than the Singletary can, which is not very well. <laughs> OK, no, you're not going to get the, you're not going to get the explosive speed from P. Ryan that you that you would get from Antonio Gibson. He's still a four six guy, right? He's a little bit faster than Devin Singletary, but. This is not this is not a scenario where you're looking for a big play running back only, because if you want a big play running back only at this stage of the draft, you're going to have to get a specialist. You're going to have to get somebody who specializes in that someone like J.J. Taylor for the shiftiness later on. But you you can't get a a player at this stage in the draft, have them want to be a big play guy for you and have him also not be a specialist. You can't get that. This is not where they're at at this point. At this point, just having a well-rounded running back on the board, like a, like a, like Michael P. Ryan, he's the pick. Is there any concern, you know, this is a fifth round running back. Is there any concern that he's not going to play teams if we bring him on board? No, he has the exact right mental makeup to play teams. He has the physicality and he has the intelligence to be able to play teams from walking in the door. I have no concern about it. All right. Appreciate it, Zig. Pep, what you got? Can I see the edge defenders that are available at this time? Because if there is one John Garvin, we are going to. Oh, no. He's been drafted. My plan is foiled. Okay. 
Um, can you go back to, <laughs> to the running backs? All right. Well, Michael P. Ryan would be a wonderful backup to Devin Singletary and give you a multifaceted skill set. There's another running back that I like as well. Michael Warren, the second from Cincinnati. And one thing that we know about what Brandon Bean is looking for in RB2 and the reason that Frank Gore dressed over TJ Yeldon was because of that downhill ability, that ability to really bang between the tackles and, you know, grind out those tough yards. Well, in, in Michael Warren, you are getting an absolute bowling ball of a runner. I think he checks in at, at over 220 pounds, but he gives you a squatty frame and he can really explode into contact and really challenge tacklers with physicality. Now, he's not just a guy that's just going to plow into the line of scrimmage. What I love about Michael Warren is because he has good feet. He's a guy that can hit lateral jump cuts, that he can plant outside of his frame and spring. And, and, and there's a shiftiness about him in the hole where he can shake guys loose in, in addition to challenge them, challenging them with power. And so you get, a, you get a really exciting competitive spirit from Michael Warren. You get that downhill ability, and, and you get kind of a fun blend of power and some elusiveness uh, to go with it. Now, he's not – I'll go ahead and answer your question. He's not your, your home run breakaway guy but I do think he does fit the prototype of what the Bills are looking for at RB2. Jonathan Garvin went before our last pick. Ah. He went before we got Ben uh, Bredesen. So, yeah, Garvin was uh, was highly coveted, went to Pittsburgh. All right, I the pick is LaMichael Pirine, mostly because for some reason, Pep, I just felt like your heart wanted to be on that side of the conversation <laughs> <laughs> compared to Michael Warren, although you did, a, you did a fine job of advocating for the young man. The pick at number 167 is running back from Florida, LaMichael Pirine. Good pick. I think that was the right way to go there. He's the better running back in that scenario. But I, I think I'm going first this time, right, uh, right, Ziggy? Yes, you are. You are. Well, before we move on to pick number 188, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We will come right back with the Nick and Nolan show joined by Mr. Joe Marino, where we are going through and doing a mock draft where each of those gentlemen are advocating for their choices. And I am making the final call. We'll be right back with you. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Bat, also known as Dusty Lincoln. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Along with me, Bruce Nolan. I mean, Ziggy Civic here. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And al- along with both of us, Joe Marino. I mean, Peppy Camry. You can find me on Twitter at the... Joe Marino. All right, gentlemen. So before we move on and and talk about what's on the board here at pick number 188 in round six, how do we feel about what we've done so far? I think Bruce did, or excuse me, Ziggy did a good job of articulating that you're getting, you're getting impact players. You're getting guys that there's a clear course to them filling an important role for your football team. And I think uh, in a, in a draft where you don't have a first round pick and you're, you're, you know, trying to, 
piece something together with young players without that marquee name top. You, you've done a good job here in finding players that I think can present a lot of value to your football team. Yeah, I agree with that. I think this is a this is an opportunity for us to shockingly take a roster that is not full of holes, but somehow find ways to find meaningful players, which is rare to be able to find this many for now meaningful players who can play meaningful snaps at a roster that doesn't have a ton of holes. Wonderful. All right. Well, what do you want to see from what's on the board here? What can I show you so we can make some decisions? I would like to see the edge rushers available and... In typical late round fashion of drafts, you're not going to be very inspired by the options that are on the table. And then if I can also see the wide receivers where I think I'll find a player that I like. Let me see here. I do. I do see a player I like here. And his name is Jawan Jennings, wide receiver from Tennessee. The Bills have a really exciting top three in terms of receivers. Diggs, Beasley, Brown. Those guys are going to separate. They're going to get open. They're going to stretch the field. They're going to create exciting spacing. So now what you need is to add a different type of weapon into there. And Jawan Jennings may be the most alpha player of any player in this draft. Watch this dude with the football in his hands. He refuses to get tackled. Rare contact balance and ability to create after the catch in terms of just being physical, having good vision, uh, being decisive. And, and really just that type of guy, when you think about inserting him into this offense with all that spacing that should be very favorable, getting the football in the short to intermediate areas of the field and allowing him to, to really create after the catch and, and create situations where you're converting uh, third downs into first downs. And so he's got the above the, the rim game to go up and get the football. He's a tall, long guy, but it's also the yards after catch ability that really, really shines with Jawan Jennings. And so I'm thinking about adding more layers to the offense and, and different problems for defenses. Well, I've given you a ton of speed and separation skills. Now let me give you this dude that can win above the rim and create after the catch and really give you an alpha mentality, a dog-like mentality, a true competitor that I think will match the likes of a John Feliciano and a Josh Allen and a Stefan Diggs, guys that really play with an edge. Sounds kind of like a Golden Tate description there. That's not bad. I mean, uh, Golden Tate is a much more polished football player, so you, that's why you would take him much higher in the draft. And Juwan Jennings, I mean, it's he's not a great athlete. He's he's pretty slow. I think he runs four seven two. So you're not you're not drafting him for his athletic profile, but it's his competitive demeanor on the field, his contact balance, his physicality that really shines. That um, I think when you think about the infrastructure that's already in place in Buffalo, it's a place where he can thrive and and a, and a a type of weapon that the Bills offense can use. Sounds like a great guy to have on teams too. Oh, there's no question. I mean, you're looking for a dog mentality, guy that's going to want to just run down the field and collision people and make tackles. When you're talking about your wide receiver four or five, that's exactly what you need. And at this point in the draft, it makes a lot of sense. All right, I'm feeling good about that. Zig, what do you what do you think? Show me the tight ends. Giggity. <laughs> All right. I'm going to make an argument right here. And I'm going to say that can somebody name me the list of wide receivers who have been successful in the NFL who ran a 4.72 plus? Anquan Bolden. There we go. Anquan Bolden. Keenan Allen. What did Keenan Allen run? I thought he ran a 4.7 flat. What did he run? I'm going to look it up right now for you, but it wasn't wasn't all that impressive, sir. Keenan Allen in 2013 ran 4.71, so within Aha. a hundredth of a second. <laughs> but you'll notice I said 4.72. <laughs> No, just, the, the, the point is that all of the points made are 
valid when it comes to Jawan Jennings. I wish he was a better athlete because if I'm going to have somebody who runs in the four sevens and is a dog on teams, I might as well have a tight end. And for me, I'm going to take Dalton Keene in this case out of Virginia Tech. Dalton Keene is someone who can allow us to have that physical presence as a pass catcher. But in addition, he can do two other things for us. He can be a TE3, compete with Tommy Sweeney, and there's a possibility he can take over as a fullback next year because with the restructuring of our current fullbacks contract, the chances are he's not going to be let go this year, but you're going to have to make an exception next year and you're going to have to make a decision on what you're going to do with the fullback position moving forward. Dalton Keene actually ran a faster 40 time by a smidge by 0.01 seconds than Jawan Jennings. And I think at 6'4", 253, he can play H-back. He can play tight end. He can line up in backfield and block. He does more things for you than a wide receiver four who doesn't return does for you. Right now, wide receiver four as Isaiah McKenzie does more things than wide receiver four Jawan Jennings. Wide receiver four, if it was Andre Roberts, does more things for you than wide receiver for Jawan Jennings. If I want somebody who runs in the four sevens, let's have them do more things than just that. I think Dalton Keene was criminally underutilized at Virginia Tech. And I think that there's a chance there for him to be a Kyle Juszczyk sort of player for this offense in the same way that Juszczyk was a player for the Super Bowl contending San Francisco 49ers. In addition, it allows us to free up a roster spot and roster spots not used on specialists. We talked about this before are valuable. And when you have a fullback who blocks only and runs special teams, but he plays limited amount of offensive snaps, you're tying up a roster position with that fullback that you can use elsewhere. If we get Dalton Keene, he can come in and compete with Tommy Sweeney this year for tight end three. Next year, he can replace He can replace our current fullback and DeMarco can be out the door at the end of his contract. We can slide him in, utilize that extra roster spot and still come away with a more meaningful impact player at this point in the draft. Pep, you know, this guy over here is telling me that this keen kid is a, is a diamond in the rough at this point and is, you know, shitting all over the kid you were advocating (laughs) for. You got any, you got any holes to poke in this keen kid? You know, this, uh, this Ziggy guy, he certainly likes to take time, Try, uh, not talking about his player, but putting mine down. Um, so I like Dalton Keene a lot. And and here's the thing, uh, Dusty, if you believe that our offensive coordinator can use Keene um, and get multiple tight ends involved and really tap into the H-back tendencies of a Keene and what he offers, then I would not hate that pick at all. And, and I think um, there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, is he going to replace DeMarco like you think he's going to? Is he really going to challenge for that roster spot? Um, if you believe that to be the case, then Keen is, is a really good pick. But I believe more in this team's willingness to put four wide receivers on the field than go 12 personnel or get creative uh, with an H-back type player. That's a fantastic point. My issue with Keen is that we do have a very crowded tight end room. I don't think the Bills want to move on from Tyler Croft. I don't think they want to move on from Lee Smith. And I, I, I fear bringing in Keen, we're just going to hope we can practice squad him for a year and then give him an opportunity to go after DeMarco. Whereas I can try to address that with next year's draft or with other options that come our way. And so I believe I'm going to pick 
Jawan Jennings from Tennessee at pick number 188. While the uh, simulator runs here, just for a, a point of, I guess, information for for the audience here, Dalton Keene, when you think process guys um, that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are going to love, he is that 2AT. They love him at Virginia Tech for his leadership, football character, and um, you know he he represented that program extremely well. I got a chance to speak with him at ACC Media Day last July, and and you can you when you're around certain players, you know McDermott's going to love him. Keen's that type of guy, so a worthy uh, player to talk about for the Bills late in the draft, especially when you think about that connection possibly being there. I can't help but notice that you said that after he pressed the button. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a. I, I will say that this this Keen kid has become a, a, a someone who's a soft spot for me. I guess I it just the way that you sold me on Jennings is that he actually has a chance at the roster. Now there's going to be a lot of competition. There always is for wide receivers in training camp or whatever it's going to be this year, training camp or, or whatever version of it exists. But there's always so much competition at the bottom of the roster for a wide receiver. So it's not like Juwan Jennings has a cakewalk to make the game day roster. But considering who the Bills already really, really like in the tight end room, Dawson Knox is not going anywhere. Tyler Croft just restructured his deal. They love Lee Smith, even though none of us do. And they love Pat DeMarco, even though a lot of us want to see you know some other change made. I just don't see a place for Dalton Keene in 2020. I see a place for him in 2021. They keep four tight ends. That's the answer. They keep four tight ends and he takes Tommy Sweeney's spot. Sure. I, which I think he would be an upgrade to in, in, in every possible way. I think he's just a much more dam- dynamic football player that gives great effort as a blocker. But where I think he gives better value as a blocker than Tommy Sweeney is I believe that you can put him in bunch sets or put him as a, an actual wing or something like that and act, act him, ask him to connect with moving bodies where Tommy Sweeney just doesn't have that type of athletic profile to be as consistent. So I think if you talk about players that deserve competition, Tommy Sweeney's one of them. He doesn't need to be handed anything. And at, in the late later portions of the draft, to use picks to challenge players like that, I think is very smart. So uh, I would be in favor of it. I wouldn't be not in favor of that based on your description. I guess I just am thinking that the cha- like the keeping four tight ends on the game day roster. Now the roster is expanded, so maybe that's what I didn't take into account. You know, and you should have said that like four minutes ago, Ziggy. <laughs> but the the uh, you know Jawan Jennings. I, that's why I picked him. So, anyways, we're at pick two oh seven. We are in still in round six, and whoever's going first, what do you want to see? I'm going first this time. Uh, show me the all, all positions. Okay. We are going to take here Alex Taylor from South Carolina State. We took an interior offensive lineman, and that's that's wonderful. But at this point, you have to start considering the fact that your offensive tackle situation right now looks like this. Tyen Secchi is in the last year of his contract. Deion Dawkins, although we assume he will get re-signed, is also in the last year of his contract. You have some guards that you added. You added some some spots to that room. You added uh, Ben Bredesen earlier this draft, but you have Spencer Long, who's on a team option every year now at this point in his contract. So you can't guarantee he's going to be back next year based on what happens this year. You need another body in that offensive line room. I think that if you're going to take a developmental tackle, I think Alex Taylor is about as good as you're going to get in this in this class because. I mentioned earlier when I was arguing for Lucas Niang that the drop-off at offensive tackle when it comes to plug-and-play starters is fairly reasonable, and I don't think Alex Taylor is that. However, 
This is not a scenario where you're trying to plan for 2020. This is a scenario where you're planning for 2021. You have to have somebody who's been in your building. Offensive tackle is not a position that you want to go into 2021 with two holes. You want to have somebody in the building you feel good about who can step up or at least give you that option. Now, Alex Taylor, still a little bit newer to football, still has some technical development to go, but all the tools are there. He absolutely monstrous. You can make an argument he's still filling into his frame. I mean, we're talking 6869 on Alex Taylor. And even though he's north of 300 pounds, he still has room to add more. I think that Alex Taylor has the ability at this point because of his tech because of his technical lack of prowess to be somebody who you take a shot on later in the draft as you get in later in the draft there's two lines of thinking either i take someone who has all the athletic traits or i take someone who has none of the athletic traits i take someone who has none of the athletic traits but a high floor or i take someone who has all the athletic traits and potentially a high ceiling this is the spot where you take swings on athletic gifts and that's what you're getting in addition Alex Taylor gives you that ability, the foot speed. He gives you that ability to do the things that mesh well with your Bredesen pick earlier. If you want a little bit to get better athletes on the field, Bredesen and Taylor allow you to change the idea and the mentality from these big, plodding, long, slow-footed, heavy-legged offensive linemen to more nimble, more athletic players who can play out in space. If you want to do it, Bredesen melds very well with what you're doing here with Alex Taylor. So Taylor is big uh, as far as long. He's tall, he's long, and he is a good athlete, right? I mean, those are all desirable things, especially in pass protection. Yes. The cons are that he is new to the game and, you know, what, maybe uh, not not exactly the killer, the dog that we talk about, right? Well, he's still learning that part. And sometimes the dog comes with confidence. Sometimes the dog comes out when you know what you're doing. And when you have a player who hasn't been doing it that long, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect the dog to evolve in him. And that's one of the things that I think is interesting to talk about when you talk about these players who are new to their position. And sometimes the last thing to come around is the dog because the dog comes with the confidence and the confidence hasn't come when you're somebody who's new to playing the position. So I don't think you can necessarily say he's inexperienced. That's a good thing. He has an upside, but then also knock him for having that lack of aggression. And the aggression comes with confidence and the confidence will come with time. All right, Pep, what do you think? All right, uh, Dusty, you didn't get a running back with home run potential, but I've got one for you here late in the draft that does a whole lot more and just hit home runs. I'm talking about Louisiana running back Raymond Calais. And um, the appeal here is explosiveness. He runs low four fours, and he's got wonderful game speed. You see this show up on the field with just the way that he breaks almost every pursuit angle that he's challenged with. And uh, 236 carries across his career, averaged 7.8 yards per rush. Uh, he's a really dynamic kick returner. Two touchdowns uh, as a kick returner was an all Sun Belt uh, selection as a kick returner. And then we talk about guys late in the draft that can do more things for you. This guy is experienced already as a gunner on punt team. So I get an explosive back that we can get the football in space and the screen game, have him work off tackle, uh, give him some manufactured touches and ask him to create, which he's proven able to do. He's a uh, all-conference kick returner, 
proven as a punt gunner and no, he's not the biggest back, but he plays big. He's physical. He's a guy that, you know, you remember CJ Spiller, how he was allergic to contact and just wanted to get out of bounds as quickly as possible. This is a guy that knows how to set up tacklers and isn't afraid to uh, take on some contact and really, uh, you know, be physical as well as, is not just a, a joystick fast guy. So I think this is the type of guy late in the draft at running back that will answer that question you have in terms of having a true long ball guy, but also do more than just that in terms of providing value as a late round rosterable pick. Do you want to take a page out of uh, Ziggy's book and shit all over the guy he advocated for before we move on? No, I, I I think Alex Taylor, you have a tough decision to make here because uh, the developmental appeal for a player like Alex Ta- Taylor at a position like offensive tackle is well worth the pick as well. So it, this to me is, is a true, what flavor do you like at this spot? When you're less gifted, sometimes you have to fight dirty, okay? That's just the way it is, okay? Sometimes you got to throw dirt in the person's eyes and you got to use your fingernails, you got to scratch and claw. You got to do what's necessary because you're clearly outmatched. Too kind. I also just kind of want him to pick more of my guys more than anything. So <laughs> there's a competitive side of me here. And now Nick or, or Dusty knows that. So this is tough. Um, I guess part of me thinks that these guys like Raymond Calais or uh, Calais that I mean that description is enticing but it also sounds like a guy that is available you know at the end of a lot of drafts and available after drafts are over for UDFAs this Alex Taylor kid I think that that's a little bit rarer of a find with him to have this this length and to be still new you know there's always a little bit of hope when a guy is new to the game that there is a, just a, a, a very acceptable, reasonable, understood level of progression that they're going to develop their skill. They just literally haven't hit there while everybody else who is being drafted has been playing for X amount of years longer. Uh, you know, I do like Daryl Williams on a one year deal. Deion Dawkins coming up at the end of his contract. Uh, Ty Inseki, I think, is this the last year of Inseki's deal, too? Yes. The pick is Alex Taylor, offensive tackle, South Carolina, at pick number 207 in round six. Down to the nitty-gritty here, uh, gentlemen. Are we tied? Is it tied? It's tied. tied. I think this is is the tiebreaker. Pick number 239 coming right around the corner. And I get to go first. (laughs) Which means he gets closing arguments. I do. All right, we're up. What do you want to see? Uh, I want to see if there. <laughs> I want to see if Braden Mann is here. <laughs> Show me the punters. Type in Mann into the top right hand corner there, where it says find a player. He is. Now, I openly say that he should not be here. Punters of this caliber will typically go in the fourth round, but I don't think Alex Taylor will be there two oh seven either. So let's just go ahead and say my pick is Braden Mann, punter from Texas A and M. I think he's the best punter in the draft, and I think that. Punter is an easily upgradable starter. And when you have an opportunity to upgrade a starter, regardless of how regardless of how late in the draft it is and how seemingly meaningless the position is, if you have a chance to upgrade a starter with the 239th pick in the draft, you take it. Now, punters have a significant impact on starting field position. Starting field position has a significant impact on points scored. 
This is a scenario where going from the best punter in the game to the worst punter in the game can change your average points per game by, you know, something significant. I think I did the math with Pepe on a previous conversation, and we determined that there's a possibility there that there's a four point swing between having the best punter in the game and the worst punter in the game, just based on the effect it has on your starting field position. The fact of the matter is with this hull, which we have done a spectacular job at, this team is markedly more talented with players who can walk in the door and have impact right now. Alex Taylor, notwithstanding. Jawan Jennings can be a wide receiver for right now. Michael P. Ryan, RB2, right now. Ben Bredesen, Starting right guard right now. Bryce Hall, CB2 right now. Jeremy Chin, defensive player who's going to get tons of snaps right now and potentially hedges against the possibility of losing Matt Milano next year and sliding him in at weak side linebacker. We have impact players. There's very, very rarely an opportunity to get an impact player at 239. But our punting situation is abysmal and it's worth spending a draft pick on a punter to make sure that you get him and he's yours for four years, as opposed to waiting until undrafted free agency and hoping you can upgrade, hoping you can upgrade our current punter position is not good enough. So brain man's the pick two thirty nine. Okay. What do you got Pep? All right, Dusty. I, I love the idea of going for a specialist here and, and certainly there's a v- lot of value in getting that punter, but Let's go with a specialist that scores points. Let's talk about Rodrigo Blankenship, this kicker from Georgia, a guy that's experienced picking, uh, kicking in big games, obviously uh, the national championship game, as well as the SEC championship game multiple times in the SEC in big situations. So he's battle-tested, has been a very productive kicker. He's made several from beyond 50 yards, so he's got that big leg, and those are tough to make in college. And what this comes down to is Stephen Hauschka, 34 years old, he's – made less than 80% of his kicks the last two seasons. Uh, had a good couple, a good year to start with the Bills, 87.9% of his field goals, but that dipped in 2018 to 78.6, and it uh, maintained that bad percentage, 78.6 in 2019. The thing about this is, is we can't have big games coming down to kicks and Stephen Hauschka not being able to put those through the uprights. He's aging. Obviously, his his distance isn't there. We've seen him really struggle from beyond 50 yards, especially recently, one of five last year. Uh, and, and that big leg is just not there anymore. And so you need to be able to score points. You need to be able to maximize your offensive output. And you need to get a young kicker in here that that can that can hit those those kicks from beyond 50 yards and make sure that uh, you're, you're scoring points when you have chances to do it. So I will uh, tug at your heartstrings when it comes to specialists and try to sell you on the kicker instead of the punter. But I think you're, you're choosing between the best kicker this year and the best punter this year. Hmm. It's hard to say. I mean, you think about for me, these two positions, right? Yes. The kicker is the one who puts points on the board, but I have more confidence in Steven Hauschka than I do whatever we're rolling out there on the uh, on the punter as far as what's on the roster right now. So do I want to improve the position that scores points definitively, the end of the game scenarios, or do I want to improve the punter? Because I think that that in general is a position with uh, less talent on the roster right now. Boy. Dusty's making his money here today. I am going to say 
you know what? You said you said a phrase that just really gets me, and it is the dramatics at the end of the game. This is a totally emotional pick. At the end of a game, when the kicker lines up and the kicker misses the field goal when it's the opportunity to win, that hurts a fan like very few other things do. And I am gonna put some put some money uh, on the table, and we are gonna go ahead and grab the guy that potentially could be kicking those balls and hopefully giving us the opportunity to win those games in Rodrigo Blankenship. All right, gentlemen, so let's review what we've done here. We got Jeremy Chin, defensive weapon at number 54, Bryce Hall, cornerback at 86, Ben Bredesen, interior offensive lineman at 128, LaMichael P. Ryan, running back at 167, Juwan Jennings, wide receiver at 188, Alex Taylor, tackle at 207, and Rodrigo Blankenship, kicker at 239. I'll let Ziggy go first. What do you think about what we were able to put together here, Zig? I think this was fantastic. I think that I don't think I have done a mock draft that has been this well-rounded. And I, I really think that this speaks to the benefit of having multiple people in the room. It it speaks to the benefit of not allowing yourself to get tunnel vision and hearing other points of view. I think that I think that Pepe un uh, you know unsurprisingly absolutely demolished this exercise, but that. You know, I think that this is a this is a rare draft where this you could look at this like the whipped cream on top of what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have been building the last couple of years. This could be a draft that fills in the little cracks in the concrete to give us a strong foundation for a long time. I think this is a fantastic draft. I didn't think the Bills could roster seven draft picks, but after looking at this, I see a very clear course for that to happen. Um, the challenging one might be Alex Taylor, just because you have so much depth at offensive line and you get nervous that you'll be able to to carry many more or that you would be able to make a concession for a player like that in terms of where he is in his development. But, uh, you know, certainly a player that you would – keep on your practice squad and, and protect as often as you can from opportunities to be plucked. So I think this was a really good exercise in, in really being mindful of fit and, and how they can help the roster and seeing that very clear course uh, for that being accomplished in a year where the bills have a deep roster going into the draft and no first round pick. What I think is interesting is that we're coming away with two additional crushes that we didn't even select in Braden Mann and Dalton Keene. <laughs> so we've really <laughs> given we've really given listeners nine guys to keep their eyes on and, and feel very good about it. And there are probably some others that I'm not thinking of right now that didn't get ultimately selected. And because this was the first time I'm hearing their name, I don't remember them off the top of my head. But I, yeah, I, I think that this was uh, interesting. So I, I have a question. Because of the way the simulation runs, you know, punters of a certain quality go in the fourth round was a comment that uh, you had made, Bruce. We can take our peppy, dusty, and ziggy hats off now. Where realistically would Rodrigo Blankenship probably go in this draft? I, either of you? I think he's going to go. I think he's going to go in the fourth round too. That's when specialists start to come off the board. I usually, usually when they go higher than that, people kind of raise an eyebrow. But I think Blankenship and there's another kicker, Joe. I'm forgetting the other kicker. He was at the Senior Bowl. I, w- I was not at the Senior Bowl this year, so my familiarity. It is escaping me right now. There's another kicker that was at the Senior Bowl this year. I think both of them could potentially go in the fourth to fifth round range. Um, 
And really, that's where I think that these people are probably going to be. I really do. I, I don't think that this is a scenario where a lot of this stuff is unrealistic, except for Tyler Bass is his name, by the way. I just looked it up while I was talking um, <clears throat> from Georgia Southern. And I, I don't think there's a lot of things in this draft that are crazy unrealistic, except for Braden Man and Rodrigo Blankensick being there in the seventh. I don't think either of them will be there. All right. Wonderful. Well, I mean, you guys have both kind of given your feedback on it. Do you have any other parting words before we uh, before we close this episode out? Yeah, I think the one thing I've been trying to to preach about, I guess, if you will, when we talk about this draft for the Buffalo Bills is nothing is do or die. You know, there's there's certainly areas to upgrade in terms of depth. Uh, There's areas that we all feel individually concerned with that Brandon Bean can upgrade. But at the end of the day, this isn't going into a draft where the Bills have to get a starting three technique or starting quarterback or there's no Mike linebacker to be found and you're relying on this rookie to come in and has to start for you and has to be good as a, as a young player that in their first taste of NFL action. And so I, I love the draft as much as anybody. I've made a career out of the NFL draft. I know how important it is. And the Bills need to make these picks count. But I feel for the first time in a very, very, very long time that nothing is absolutely do or die. And so maybe you think running back's a big need. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're fine with the cornerbacks. Maybe you're not. But at the end of the day, this regime has drafted extremely well and put themselves in, in a strong position for the board to fall for them, fall to them and, and go get their guys potentially and make the moves that we become accustomed to Brandon Bean making. But at the end of the day, this is a good football team, a good roster and an opportunity to add to it where, like I keep saying, nothing is do or die. The Bills don't have to get a year one rookie starter. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that the really the definition of the word need is different this year than it has been in Bills teams in the past. I think that need is not a binary. It's not, yes, we have a need or no, we don't have a need. It's how much of a need is it? And there aren't any you know, massively glaring holes. As much as I, I like to pound the table about CB2 and other people pound the table about RB2, those aren't needs relative to the needs we've seen from this regime in the past. From this this organization has gone into drafts absolutely having to draft a player at a position and absolutely needing them to come in and contribute meaningfully their rookie year. I mean, and it wasn't that long ago when we were in that position as an organization, but we're not anymore. And so really the needs aren't as extreme as they've ever been. And because of that, like Joe said, things are on the table. You know, if they drafted a wide receiver at 54, I, I considered pitching LaVisca Chenault right there at 54 as a wide receiver for is a crazy, crazy upgrade to Isaiah McKenzie and someone who can fill a lot of those roles for us. And that's the joy of this is the fact that I could make that pitch. And that seemed reasonable in my head before I made the pitch that I did make. I think that that seems reasonable and there's going to be a lot of nodding because it's not really do or die. Like Joe said, well, Joe, at least from one half of the hosting crew here, thank you so much for joining us on the Nick and Nolan airwaves. This is the first time that you have been on our show, at least with both of us. Have you been on before with just Bruce? Yeah, Bruce and I hooked up for some free agency talk. Ah, well, wasn't as good as this. So, <laughs> thank you, Joe, for joining us uh, for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. And thank you, everybody, for listening and tuning in to this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. We would love to hear your feedback of what you thought of the episode. Feel free to leave us a review, either on iTunes, Stitcher, or hit us up on Twitter. You can find me at NickBat, N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Joe, where can the people find you? At the Joe Marino. And Bruce. 
at Bruce Exclusive. And uh, as we go into the last day of the week, you guys are hearing this on Thursday, hopefully, if you're listening to it on time. Come Friday, we will be back in your feed with another episode of the Nick and Nolan Show. But, you know, one of the things I like doing here recently is catching guys on hot mics. And before we started recording this for the actual episode, I had uh, Joe uh, Marino said something very, very interesting right before we started recording. And it was this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.